Well, thank you so much, Serafina, for joining me today. I am really excited to dive into this very deep conversation with you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So one of the questions that I wanted to talk to you about was, you know, Carl Sagan famously describes Earth as this pale blue dot suspended in the vastness of space. And I really want to hear from you, what is the sense when you are talking about, you know, studying the stars, studying all these different things? How do you feel? Do you do you agree with some of the things that he shares? What? How do you feel about Earth? The star, stars. Yeah, I think Carl was really interested in this idea of how small we are and sort of the the grand expanse of the universe. And I think uh, the landscape of being a pale blue dot um, does a really fantastic job of making us, I don't know, just like appreciate the vastness that surrounds us. And, and I mean, that's one of the reasons and a, a really big reason why I love the stars and I love astronomy and I love, you know, the perspective that it brings us. So how did you even get involved in the career and in the study that you're doing now? I loved astronomy ever since I was a kid. I used to listen to Stardate Radio, um, which is this radio show. Uh, and I would spend nights stargazing with my dad. So I think I always knew I wanted to do something with the stars, whether it was becoming an astronaut or studying astronomy. It didn't really matter. It was just as long as it was in the field of, of, of you know, the night sky, I was going to be happy. So when you first um, started stargazing I mean it's such you know it's a magical experience it I I feel like the whole entire world is left with the wonder of how was this created there's so many different perspectives and opinions of who created the sun who created the stars who created the moon you know what is out there and I I'm so curious to hear what is your thought on that? What 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 are your beliefs on some of those theories out there? Um, you know, I think astronomy is a really powerful tool to um, you know, ask those big, important, fundamental questions. And that's one of the things that I was really interested in. Um, you know, when I first fell in love with astronomy is, you know, where did we come from? How did we get here? <laughs> um you know, what is the fate of the universe? And I think astronomy takes a scientific um, approach to starting to answer those questions. So, you know, there are astronomers who are religious, there are astronomers who aren't. Um, I personally am not religious, but I think, um, you know, it's a way of, of sort of taking an analytical approach to, um, you know, studying the natural world to try to get a sense of, you know, where we are. In your search and throughout your career, are there any questions that you have had and that have actually found the answer to? You know, I'm sure you've had questions and wondered, is this how this happened? Is this real? Through your discoveries, what what have you found? So I think you know, I am discovered supernova. So I've, you know, I found stars that have exploded. I've, you know, modeled when stars might explode in the future. Um, currently, I'm looking at 
how fast the universe is expanding and trying to measure that. I mean, science is is ultimately about discovery, but discoveries don't happen every day. Unfortunately, in science, I wish they did. Uh, but it's a lot of just sort of chipping away at whatever your research question is to try to gain um, insight. So what has been some of the challenging moments that you have faced as a woman in STEM? I think I've struggled with explicit and implicit messaging that I don't belong in the field. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not unique to me. You know, I think almost every woman that I've talked to or every person of color that I've talked to or sort of any marginalized identity experiences that feeling of otherness. And I, I mean, some people are actively pushed out of the field. I, you know, haven't been, but it's, it's a, you know, it's it's a difficult process. It's a difficult struggle to sort of um, pursue your dreams when people are telling you that you don't belong. Um, so when I was a kid, I write about this in the book. I, um, you know, met my first astronomer uh, when I was, let's see, I was in sixth, fifth grade. So, you know, I was 10 years old or something. And I told him that I wanted to grow up and be an astronomer. And he told me, that astronomy isn't for someone like me. And wow, that messaging sticks with you, you know? Yeah. And I think it it it's a, takes a lifetime of unlearning, especially when those messages compound over time in different fashions. Uh, sure. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult challenge for sure. So what advice would you give to aspiring scientists, especially from underrepresented backgrounds uh, who are facing similar, you know, obstacles and they're trying to pursue their dreams, especially women, women of color? Like what what's one thing that you could say to them? I think find your community and find mentors who can uplift and support you and, and keep you safe. Um <laughs> For me, that has made the biggest difference. And I think when you're surrounded by people who have your best interests at heart and want to see your your voice and your presence, um, it can help you and protect you to, you know, continue on. So I think I think for me those are is really invaluable resources that I've I've had and I think others, you know, really appreciate. So you've been very open with your career, with your journey, the path that you've chosen. You've spoken up on so many different aspects. And I'm curious to know, how do you balance your academic pursuits, scientific research, and advocacy while managing responsibilities as a PhD student? I mean, do you do you sleep? Do you <laughs> I I wouldn't say I do it perfectly. Um, you know, I think it's it's a trial and error type of thing. You know, there are lots of things I'm very passionate about. And once I get into something, it's hard to sort of take me away from it. I, I really uh, invest my time and energy in, in them, you know, much to the chagrin of my PhD advisor. So I think it's, it's definitely a... a an exercise in juggling it all but I think you know especially women are are used to juggling 10 20 different things and you know it's 
it's definitely not ideal, but it's sort of where I am right now. I mm-hmm. think, um, you know, I view my science communication and education um, as part of my job. I, I think that every scientist, I believe that every scientist has a responsibility to share what they're learning with the world um, rather than sort of keeping it isolated in these academic circles. Um, and so, yeah, I I definitely view that as, you know, just another aspect of my job. and I'm working on changing that. <laughs> So describe to me just a day as an astrophysicist. What does that even look like? Most of the time is spent on your computer. So not all that different from other jobs, I think, um, at least in the tech sector. Um, It's a lot of coding, a lot of sort of data cleaning, data manipulation, um, running models, building models, uh, code review. Um, I'd say 99% of my time is spent doing code. Um, and then the rest, the last 1% is like, you know, reading papers, having meetings. Um, as an observational astronomer, you, you know, observe every so often, which means you use observatory to basically look at your targets that you're interested in. So for me, I look at stars that um, have exploded or going to explode. And those are, of course, very long nights because you're working, you know, from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m. Uh, but those are few and far in between. I think most of my time is spent just sort of debugging code. So I, I'm kind of a a nerd in the sense of I've always found astronomy to be super interesting. And I'm one of those that is like, okay, what's once you go through the black hole, then what? You know, what's oh yeah, black hole. You know, can how many stars are there? How many galaxies are there? I mean, I can only imagine in your career, and you've probably met lots of people like me who ask you, "Are aliens real? What's your yeah. biggest discovery? What's the world's biggest discovery?" And I, I'm laughing because I can I can see it because I'm doing it now. How do you answer those types of questions with people who do not have that scientific background? You know, I mean, that's the exercise. Yeah, that's I mean, that's something that I really enjoy doing is breaking down these difficult um, questions in very accessible ways and finding the right ways of, you know, using language and constructing your argument to like reach people who maybe don't have the same technology. I think I, I said this in a in a book reading the other day that you know, most of the time the way that I think about these questions personally for my work is breaking them down into the sort of these concrete things so that I can understand. And that's the exact same thing that I do when I try to explain them to other people. Whether I succeed or not is, you know, varies. But I think um, you know, that's that's where the the work is as a science educator. So you wrote a book, and I and I want to talk about that. First of all, writing a book, especially about what you have chosen to write about, is is really an incredible way to share and be so open about your journey. Where did that come from? What made you decide to want to write about everything? Thank you. I um, I'm an only child, so when I was growing up, 
books were my best friends. I, I uh, loved reading and I think I, I distinctly remember going to the bookstore once and I'd read all the books in the kids, children's section. I was like, what do I do now? So uh, I've always loved, you know, um, stories and, and, and sort of escaping the world that we're in right now to, you know, I don't know, be somewhere else. So that has always been there. And I've, I've always loved to write. I've, I think I've said many times before that I'm not inherently good at physics I sort of chose the hardest career path for me because it's not something that I'm you know naturally gifted at but um writing is something that I'm much more comfortable with and in another life I would be you know a full-time writer so that said I reached this point um in my PhD where I started reflecting on what my experience was how I got here um and more of these sort of pernicious feelings of non-belonging and um yeah I think just trying to contextualize my journey and it was on the heels of a major surgery um and I I think I was really interested in talking about it more openly I I had talked about it online I talked about my experiences as a woman in STEM and and um you know, medical journey online. But I think I constantly felt frustrated that it was sort of a two or one dimensional um, image of what my journey is. And I think it's a flattening of someone's full human experience. And so this book was my opportunity to flesh that out and um, I think really dig into some of these deeper questions that I was really curious about in my own life and then more universally, you know, with with others' lives as well. Your book came out June of this year, uh, just a short time ago, and you call it Starstruck, a memoir of astrophysics and finding the light in the dark. And that is a profound title. So my mind went all kinds of different directions in the sense of, is it a metaphor finding the light in the dark? Does it have to do with what you're doing as a career? So share with me, where where did the title come from? I can credit my wonderful literary agent for her coming up with that. I I wish I was that wonderful with words, but she did a, she did a phenomenal job. And I think it really fits very well. You know, I think it's the the beauty of that title and of the book in general I think is that it's both it's you know it's the science of finding these beacons of light in the dark universe um which is what I do every day studying supernova which are you know exploding stars that shine brighter than a galaxy um and then it's also you know in a life of incredible challenges and tumultuous experiences how do you find your own light? That basically is how I construct the book. So every chapter, a science section bookmarks each chapter. I trace, you know, the evolution of my life and, and who I am at the same time that I have these more, um, you know, direct science sections that trace the evolution of the universe. Um, so I thought that was a really interesting format to do exactly what you just asked in the title of doing both. You wrote 
a, a piece of everything and, and put it in this book. And, and now it's out, you know, it's public. It's, and I hope everyone who is watching today will read this book and really see what an incredible journey you, you are on, what you're creating, what you've already done. So what's next? Nah. Um, I think a vacation, probably. <laughs> um, some sleep. Uh, no, I, I'm graduating my PhD this year. Um, and then I think I'm, I don't have plans for what's next. I'm very much in the let's explore and see what's out there. And um, yeah, I think continue to, I don't know, explore new possibilities. I never in a million years would have imagined that I would write a book in grad school. So I think I'm very excited to see, um, yeah, what, what comes next. And you're so young. I mean, you have so many years ahead of you, so much more knowledge to gain and just more of the experience of what's coming next. But during all of this, you also shared another side to you um, as an advocate for yourself. Uh, you shared your story about the BRCA2 uh, undergoing a double mastectomy, and you were so open about the journey and why you chose to do what you wanted, what what you did. And I wanted to know if you could talk to me a little bit about that today. Um, it was a preventative surgery, I understand, and I just kind of want to know, you know, one that's so brave. Um, I, you know, Thank as you. a cancer, uh, as a woman diagnosed with cancer. I, I can somewhat understand some of the, the thought process, but, you know, going through a preventative, it it's, it's a whole different thing. So talk to me about that. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah. So my grandmother, when I was a kid, um, was diagnosed with ovarian cancer and then died of pancreatic cancer. And, um, when I was 23, my dad was diagnosed with stage four prostate cancer. Four. And the it was extremely aggressive and I think um, really was a, a shock to all of us. I mean, prostate cancer typically isn't diagnosed that late. And so because of his family history with his mom and how aggressive it was, he got genetic testing and came back positive for the BRCA2 gene mutation. Um, and shortly afterwards, I too got genetic testing and learned that I was positive. And my sort of genetic risk profile um, was an 87% lifetime risk of breast cancer and a 30% lifetime risk of ovarian cancer. I mean, that's a lot for anyone. It's it's a lot for a 23-year-old who, you know, is just sort of trying to figure out how to be an adult. And I went through, you know, the full spectrum of sort of dissociation and pretending like it didn't exist. And then all of a sudden, I was 25 and uh, had to get my first breast MRI and they found something. And I was so anxious and I was so overcome with the fear that I would have cancer at the same time my dad had cancer and ultimately the spot was benign but they wanted to start monitoring me every six months and you know do the whole the whole thing and for me I just 
I, I learned then that I could get a double mastectomy and do it preventatively. And that was really game changing for me because it allowed me to be proactive rather than reactive. I was, you know, young and healthy. I didn't have um, children yet. I, I was sort of in this time of my life where I could have the the time to do something like that. And um, I I couldn't, for me, I it felt like I was reclaiming agency over my diagnosis and my health. So I had three surgeries in one year, um, which was a lot especially for a PhD student who was supposed to be doing research. Um, but I, I couldn't be happier with my decision. And it was really important to me to share my journey with the world because women's bodies are, are not talked about, and um, at least not in this way. And, you know, it was a way for me to educate others, you know, on genetic testing and, um, on preventative health care. And um, yeah, my hope was that by sharing my story, I would help others feel less alone in, you know, their own, their own journeys. And the key word being preventative, you know, uh, a lot of people don't understand what genetic testing is even to this day, but it, it's such a yeah. huge factor um, and precursors for cancer, for diabetes. I mean, there's so many studies and you're so young to have made such a big decision and to also be open about it. But then you took it a step further and you shared this story and you did an incredibly beautiful photo shoot with Sports Illustrated. And thank you. I was looking at the pictures and I'm thinking to myself, wow, you go, girl. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I was like, wow. What an incredible example for so many young women because we get caught up in um, shaming ourselves. Uh, we also, a lot of women, I think by you being so vocal about what you chose, helped women see the importance of being proactive and, and not waiting till it's too late because that's unfortunately what happens often is we don't advocate for ourselves and we wait till it's too late and we're already in stage two, three, four you know, and it's it's harder. So when I was looking at these pictures on Sports Illustrated, I thought, wow, what a beautiful young woman. And the message isn't the glitz and the glamour. The message is completely the opposite of that. And so how did you do that? <laughs> Thank you. That's very kind of you. Um, yeah, I think you know, I'm not the first to say this, that scars are beautiful. And that was an exercise for me after my mastectomy and after my, you know, all my surgeries. And it wasn't always, I didn't always feel proud. I definitely felt um, a whole spectrum of emotions. And I think that's normal going through something like that. But to varying degrees, we all experience that, you know, I think the shame is so real shame that women have over their bodies or, um, you know, not feeling fully in their bodies. And I I think because it was such an acute example of me having to, by necessity, fall back in love with my body and feel at home in my skin because, you know, when you go into surgery, 
you wake up and you have a different body essentially um and that's it's such a start I don't know thing to happen to you and so I I felt more in my body after going through this than I ever had in my entire life and that Sports Illustrated photo shoot and that you know being in the magazine was uh something I never thought I would ever do and it was so empowering. It was such a beautiful experience to be shooting with some incredible people and just get to feel beautiful and get to feel, um, I don't know, worthy and, and you know, confident. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I think it's, you don't need to be an SI to feel that way. I think it's, you know, you can do things in your life any every day to feel more at home in your body and more grounded in it and more connected to yourself and to others. SI was one example of, you know, me being able to do that after surgery, but I think all of us can probably integrate that more in our daily lives. I think you probably really gave a lot of women a boost of confidence and courage to all want to apply to swimsuit illustration. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I I, I hope so. I, out there yeah. and, and say, you know what? Here I am. Take me as I am. This is because women are beautiful. Women are smart. We're we are we're the full package. I say this all the time. Yeah. And then, and you are a, a great example of that as well. In terms of, you know, going through a double mastectomy and and that process itself, how is your mindset, how is your your mental and emotional well-being through that time? Was were you going through things? Was it hard? Did you have support? Yeah, I it was definitely hard. Um I I think one of the things that made it there were a couple of things that made it more doable for me. One of those is just the fact that I was choosing to do it. That choice really shifted my mindset and from something that's happening to me to something that I'm choosing to better my life and my health and my body. Um, and that allowed me to, I guess, like lean into the process a little bit more. Um, I did so much research to find a medical team that I believed in and who believed in me my surgeon is a breast cancer survivor and is pioneering the world of mastectomies and breast reconstruction because she is doing sensation preservation, which for those who don't know, most of the time you lose your uh, sensation in your breasts when you get a mastectomy. But she is has created this sort of alternative to grasp the nerves or keep the nerves, preserve them so that you don't loose sensation and that was really really exciting and um I think pivotal you know when I was relearning my body I already had the sensation so it wasn't as as jarring so yeah having the ultimate confidence in my medical team and really trusting the process and then of course yeah the, the support from my community uh, my partner was phenomenal um and then I had I think I had friends visit fly in from all over the country for weeks after my surgery sort of like um you know one person would be there for a couple days and another person would be there for a couple days so it sort of uh I don't know disperse the load <laughs> on any one person <laughs> exactly and it was 
I mean, that was um, so fun. Honestly, I got to see my friends. I, they, you know, it was a, you know, it's a big thing for 20 year olds to have to, you know, help each other with. But um, I felt more connected to my community than I think I ever had. And there's something about going through, walking through a very difficult moment, but getting to walk through it with, with people who love you that make it, um, I don't know, much more uh, manageable. So another thing that you, you know, you describe and that I've read about you is an analog astronaut. And I have to ask, what is that? <laughs> so an analog astronaut is somebody who has completed a basically simulation of what it is like to live and be an astronaut on another planet or on the moon. Um, so I basically lived as though I was on Mars in this, you know, isolated habitat um, on a volcano in Hawaii. So you're in the middle of nowhere and, you know, you're conducting research, you're keeping the hab functional. You're basically doing all of the tasks and the responsibilities that an astronaut might do. Um, and the idea is to do and perform these analog missions to basically test things here on Earth before actually going to the moon or Mars. Um, and, you know, when something goes wrong, being able to understand how to fix it when, you know, human humanity is, you know, a couple hundred miles away rather than, uh, you know, much further. And it's also an interesting way to explore crew dynamics and study, you know, what is it like for people to live together in the middle of nowhere for, you know, six months. Mine was only two weeks, but some missions are a year long. So, um, yeah, I did that let's see, a year after my last surgery. So it was a really exciting thing for me to kind of go through the gambit of these health things and then be able to sort of pursue a dream of mine. I was on your, I think it was your Instagram page, and I saw you had written a post and it said, um, basically, you have check marks of the things that you've done. Huh. Um and there was one that says, go to space, the box is there, and the check is not. So mm -hmm. obviously, you know what I'm going to ask you next. Is that <laughs> for you to go to space? Yeah, that's definitely a goal of mine. I, I think it's a goal slash dream. You know, I, I will do everything in my power to try to get there. But, um, you know, I'm under no illusion that it's, you know, something that's easier or um, comes naturally. I think it's, it's a lot of luck, a lot of hard work and opportunity. And, and um, I think I can just keep, you know, trying to put myself into better positions to hopefully one day get there. Serafina, what does that look like for you to be able to check that box off? What, what are some of the things that would have to happen in order for that to be a reality? I think Continuing, I mean, first get my PhD, <laughs> that has to happen. Um, and then, yeah, continuing to <laughs> sort of do these um, a little bit, I don't know, more off the wall experiences like an analog astronaut simulation, um, get my pilot's license, um, become, you know, 
I am currently scuba certified, but like become sort of more of an expert in scuba diving. And yeah, I think just the advice that was given to me is basically find something you're passionate about and become excellent at it. So great. Who knows what that will be? <laughs> but yeah, I think, you know, the best thing about wanting to be an astronaut is or I'm ending up uh, finding things I'm I'm interested in and getting to do those, which, you know, the journey is more important than the destination. And so, yeah, I think there are a lot of opportunities to, you know, improve my CV on that front, but I'm excited to, to get to do that. Is there anything that you're not afraid of? <laughs> I am afraid of so many things. Um, I... <laughs> I think the mental health aspect is going to be something, you know, it's, it's, I struggle with anxiety, which is basically a fear of everything, I think. Yeah. Um, but I think the thing is you have more fear, but you do it anyway. Um, you know, during my surgeries, I was so scared, but you walk into the, the, the fear and you can keep going. I'm told that's what being brave is. I don't know if that's true or not, but I think we're all scared. We just, yeah, whether you listen to that fear or not. I, I did read something about that, too, that you shared about struggles with anxiety. Um, and, you know, for women, I feel like when we speak up about that, we're looked at a little differently than if a man was to share about him being anxious or dealing with anxiety and things like that. How How has that affected you with work? I mean, mental health is such a tricky thing to talk about and I think all genders experience some sort of um like we haven't built a good infrastructure or like system for people to be able to talk about it without judgment or shame uh you are so right it, it yeah I, it's, so it's yeah I I wish it were better but I think that's why you know it's so important to be to the extent that you can and feel comfortable with, you know, candid and honest about what you're what you're struggling with. Um, I find that being honest about it, um, again, it's sort of empowering. It makes me feel like I'm choosing to, I don't know, tackle the problem head on. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's it's something that has probably affected my work. Uh, just in the sense that, you know, it affects how I show up at work. You know, I feel scared of, answer, of, of asking questions or scared of, you know, uh, look, looking stupid. Um, but I think what I've learned through a lot of therapy is that most of that is because I am, I am literally in a place that is not designed for someone like me. And a lot of what I'm feeling is real. You know, I probably am looked at differently and I probably am perceived differently. And that's, that's on the system. That's not on me. And I can, all, you know, all I have to do is just keep showing up in, in the ways that I can and um, not blame myself so much. I think that's, that's a lot of it, but it's tricky. I, I think it's a, it's a very difficult thing. In addition to you being a woman, a woman of color, I would say most people in this field are quite a bit older, right? Yeah. You're considered a younger woman in this field as well. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like for my medical team, my doctor is probably close to your age. He's actually the same age as my son. And so when he oh. walked in the room, the very first thing he said to me was, I know. I, <laughs> I know. And, and I'm good. He's aware. Doogie Hauser is happening right now. <laughs> like he is smart as a whip and continues to save my life on a daily. So, I mean, you have all these different obstacles that you just keep bursting through. So I, I want yeah. to commend you, congratulate you, and, and you. tell you, please do not give up because you are in such a special, um, like the time is now, the way society is, the way the world is, everything is changing and you have the perfect time to leave an imprint and make those changes for women of color, for women, period, and women in STEM. And I'm so honored to have gotten to talk to you today. Thank you so much. This is so kind of you to say. And I, it's an honor to talk to you too. I'm I'm really excited to be here um, and to chat, you know, all things uh, about, I don't know, my life, my career, and, and about the book. Um, you know, it's been a dream to sort of explore all of these different threads and, and I don't know, try to get at the, the, the institutional, you know, issues that come up or the structural issues that, you know, are, are barriers and, you know, women like us and, and young women can sort of dismantle to pursue their dreams. Well, before we end, I would love for you to share where everyone can go and get this incredible book. Starstruck, a memoir of astrophysics and finding light in the dark is available everywhere you find your book. Um, support your local indie bookstore or grab it, you know, online on Amazon. Um, yes, it's available everywhere. So now are you I doing you any in-person book signings? I am. Yeah, I have. Let's see. I'm going to be in the Bay Area for a couple of events uh, this week and next week. And then I'll be in Boston talking with Sasha Sagan, who is Carl Sagan's daughter, let's see, on July 17th, I think. So yeah, if anyone's in Boston, come come find me. Wow. Well, I'm so proud of you, Serafina. And thank you again for coming on. Congratulations to you. And I can't wait to see where you go to next. But I have a feeling it's going to be out of this world. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you, Serafina. Thank you all so much for joining another episode of She Rises Studios podcast. Please follow us online at She Rises Studios. You can also visit our website at www.sherisesstudios.com.